welcome to Language Chats. This is a podcast for language lovers in Australia and beyond, where we share our enjoyment and experiences of language learning with you. I'm Beck. Hi, I'm Penny. We both live in Australia and we love learning languages and love chatting to each other about it. Us, which we are very excited about. Welcome, Lindsay. Hello, I'm Lindsay. I'm not in Australia. <laughs> <laughs> so, Lindsay Williams from Lindsay Does Languages. Um, you are very well known amongst the language community, but for anyone out there who might not know that much about you, can you tell us a little bit about Lindsay Does Languages? Yeah. Um, so Lindsay Does Languages started in 2012 and initially I was teaching offline. And then 2014, my husband was, um, well, I just qualified to, uh, to, to become a, a primary school teacher. And I thought, right, while he was doing his qualification, I thought I need to think of a way to make sure that I can, you know, move this business to wherever he ends up getting a job. And that's what I did. So as part of that, I switched everything online and thought, you know what, I actually prefer this. It's much more flexible. It's It fits me better. It suits me better. I'm not having to drive around at rush hour to, <laughs> to all these different houses. And um, so, yeah, most of what I do now is is online. And in our episode today, we have particularly asked to talk to Lindsay about um, a project that she's been working on for a few years now called Language Stories. Mm. Um, and... So this is what it's all about today. Um, I know that you're embarking on your third series now of language stories. Yes. Can you tell us, I guess, a bit of background about what it is and how it all began and, yeah, where you where it's taking you? Mm, sure. So um, it, it started really, if, if I take it completely back to the beginning, it started in my little hometown about an hour from where I live now in the UK. And I went to the library one day and I did my little route of checking the travel books, checking the language books. Mm -hmm. And as I checked the language books, there was this bizarre, almost like an exercise book, this light pink, very faded exercise book style thing on the shelf. And I picked it up and it said on the front, Dob you in grammar. And I'm like, what the heck is this? I browsed through it and it's like a typewriter font. You know, it's really old school, very unique. I don't even know if it had a barcode. And I'm like, why is this in my library in the middle of England? It had like a library, um, you know, like a, a number on the spine. But when I took it to the little electric checkout, it went, well, I don't recognize that book. So I had to even go manually um, to, to get it checked out. And I, I was like, this is crazy. I'm like, I feel like this has fallen into my life. I need to go and discover this language. It turns out it's a language spoken in Papua New Guinea. So we thought, right, let's do this. Let's let's make this into a thing. So we were going to go across Europe and across Asia, all the way down to Papua New Guinea, find where this language was spoken and uh, see what it was all about. Then we thought, oh, Papua New Guinea is quite a scary place to go if you've never really done anything like this before and, you know, turning up with cameras and everything. We were like, maybe that's a bit intense for like, <laughs> you know, a first time doing something like this. And so we had this year kind of carved out initially and we thought, oh, well, you know what? I've just finished a degree and I just, my last course was Spanish. I was like, I haven't been learning Spanish for 15 years of my life to not go and learn more about Latin America. Why don't we do that? 
And Langfest had just kind of become a thing. So it was the second year of Langfest. I thought, maybe this fits. Maybe this is how it's supposed to be instead. So we went to New York for a week. We went to Langfest, to Montreal for a week. And then we flew down to Cuba and kicked off nine months in Latin America making, well, we started actually in New York making season one of Language Stories, which was all about languages in the Americas. Season two, um, initially we thought that would be it. We thought that would be the year. And then it was actually in Cuba. We were in a hurricane, in Hurricane Irma. We were trapped um, in this town in the middle of the island called Santa Clara. We thought, oh yeah, we'll go there for a day and then hop on to uh, Havana. And we got stuck there for five days. So we're like, oh, what what do we do? It just felt like we the, the place wanted to kick us out, you know? So in this kind of vengeful moment, we were like, screw it. Let's go to Southeast Asia. <laughs> <laughs> so we planned. What a great reason. Yeah. It was bizarre because even though it's like months later, the weather would be completely different. Hurricane season would be long over. And we were like, well, let's just go there as well in this year. We can do it. So we did. And it worked really well because then we were able to film a second series of language stories. And the idea behind it really was we didn't just want to go to all these amazing places for a year to just travel and float. Do you know what I mean? To just be there and be like oh look there's Chichen Itza ka-ching take a picture oh look there's Machu Picchu click take a picture and that be it we wanted to really experience it in a slightly different way my husband's background I said he's a teacher but his his background before that is is filmmaking and it's something that he still brings into his teaching today but it's also something that he helps me a lot with for Lindsay Does Languages and so he has that experience and all that equipment that goes along with that. I have the language experience, I guess, and, and knowledge and interest. And so together, it, it seemed to be the logical thing to do. And so, Lindsay, um, I think it's really interesting that you that you talk about wanting it to be more, like like as in more than just a holiday almost mm. is that is that how you would describe it so I suppose lots of people do go on long extended holidays but where you're right maybe they just go and see places and they take their photos and they have a good time and they experience lots of different things but it really sounds like you sounds like you wanted to get more out of that experience 100 percent. and I, I wrote a book about the the whole experience and, and I called it not a year off because as we were getting ready to take this trip um you know, people would say, oh, when are you off on your holidays? And when are you going on your gap year? And it's like, we're nearly 30. It's not quite a, a gap year. In fact, my, my husband turned 30 in Canada right at the start of the trip. So it was like, what is this thing? You know, it's not just about going and being there and seeing the things. We did want to use the the, the opportunity that we had to really feel closer to these places. And it's definitely something that happened, I think, especially when I think of, um, you know, places like Paraguay, for example, with, I learned Guarani, which is um, one of the languages that's spoken there. And that one, you know, that place, because of making the episode, because of learning more about the language, it feels so much more kind of in my heart. Do you know what I mean? Than you know, other places I've been in the past where I've just almost passed through. Is that, I mean, I know we've, we've um, probably a lot of us have been following your, your journey with learning Guarani and seeing how I think you've really, you know, come to love the language. Is that 
Do you think a lot of that when you say you feel like it's in your heart, is that what kind of keeps you motivated to keep that language fresh? Because it's, you know, it's not a hugely widely spoken language, especially not where you, you're based <laughs> at the moment. Um, it must be difficult sometimes to keep that motivation up or do you think it's, or do you think it's not for you? I mean, yeah, right now I'm not actively learning it, but I was able to, because when we decided to go to Asia, we then had to fly through the UK. <laughs> so we kind of <laughs> were like, quote unquote, home for all, all about, an, about a night, I think, um, in the airport. And so my mum came because we had to switch airports. And I, so I was able to buy these books in Paraguay to bring home give to my mum, be like, hey mum, take all of this stuff that we don't want to take to Asia with us. Okay, see you later. Um, and and I think ha- being able to have that stuff, it was not something I could get online. Um, and it feels like almost I'm very lucky to have those books, to be in possession of that, that it feels like a responsibility almost to not waste them to not have them just sat there on the shelf and to actually still care about this language and I thought I'll be honest I thought that Paraguay going there I thought that would be the end because I was learning it uh for a few months before we left and then you know sort of sporadically as we were still traveling beforehand and the reason I chose Guarani was because I knew that would be towards the end of our time in Latin America so I would have longer than if I'd picked, say, a Mayan language, which, you know, spoken in sort of Central America where we went earlier on. Um, and so I, that was intentional. But I just thought once we get to the end, that'll probably be it. I'll probably never think about this language again, but it will be a cool experience. But being there and feeling this, it sounds really kind of kooky and maybe a bit sort of spiritual and woo-woo, whatever, but feeling this deeper connection with the place because of the language and I'm not fluent by a long way but just knowing that it existed and knowing a few facts about it and learning about the culture through the language really helped to just embed this love for that place and for that language in the long term and that makes the motivation a lot easier I always say when people you know if I do interviews and things like that and people say uh, oh what's the one tip you would give I always say find your Shakira <laughs> find something that you love I love that tip and, <laughs> right and for me that was Shakira with Spanish and so having something like that that just is a connection on a more deeper level than I need to learn it for work I need to learn it for school that's great that's great you know it's it's maybe going to be really helpful and beneficial but having something a little bit deeper is going to really help with motivation in the in the long run given your your i guess this deep feeling that you have and this deep connection that you have with Grony can you tell us a little bit more about how your experience using it um while you were in Paraguay um and your interactions <laughs> with it when you got there after after all this time you spent learning before you before you arrived yeah um Okay, so I'm not going to lie. It was disappointing. <laughs> I knew that Guarani and Spanish, what, what's different about Guarani compared to other indigenous languages across Latin America, but also across the world, I'd say in general, and I don't like to make generalizations about things like that, but it is it is quite a broad statement, but it is there is some truth to it. Guarani, it's 
much more, I would say, respected. It's much more an emblem of pride for people of Paraguay. And it's spoken in other regions around Paraguay as well, bits of Argentina, etc., Bolivia. Um, but in Paraguay, it's an official language alongside Spanish. In government buildings and everything like that, it's it's bilingual. But and and but the the the, the interesting thing is that only 10% of the population is indigenous. So the other 90% of the population that have some mostly Spanish blood and heritage, they have taken this into their hearts and just lifted it. Even if, you know, not everyone speaks it fluently, not by a long shot, but everyone I, I, I felt at least being there felt this pride. However, when I arrived, I was already at the, you know, immigration to be like, that's like, hello, how are you? And be like, that's like, thank you. And I was already with that with my little passport, you know, and I, I kind of, I, I can't, I can't remember if I said it, if I bottled out at the last minute, but if I did say it, he didn't really bat an eyelid at immigration. And then I remember, um, we went, we went, found our accommodation and then we went out to, there was a mall nearby and we went to get some food. Of all things, Japanese food was in this mall, which is just so unexpected. <laughs> so I'm kind of in this Japanese restaurant, um, sort of glancing behind thinking, okay, they look like, I'll hear them. Okay, they're, yeah, they're talking in Japanese. And then the guy serving me was Paraguayan and was, like I said, um, one of those, please. And thank you. And he was like, oh, oh very good, very good, you know. And uh, and and then I said, I took my, my tray back and I was like, it was delicious. And he went, oh, thank you. Thank you very much. And then I sort of looked again and I was like, okay, I say thank you in, in granny. Thank you in Japanese. It was all very crazy. Um, and that was a really positive experience straight away. But then we spent the rest of our time there primarily in Asuncion. And if we weren't in Asuncion, we were in uh, Encarnacion, which is another city in the south. I think that's the second biggest city. Um, however, um, in the cities, Spanish dominates. The more rural you go, the more Guarani tends to become more prominent. And so we didn't really have, and it, the, the problem was it was Easter while we were there, which for um, Spanish-speaking countries is quite a big deal. You've got a whole week of Semana Santa that is a bit like, oh, I don't know if we should travel during that week. How easy is it going to be? You know, all of that. So we ended up staying for that extra week in Ascension which meant that we didn't get the chance to go out as much into the countryside as we would have liked to really see Guarani in in action, if you like. Um, but I did go to Guarani school for a week, which was very fun. And so I had some time there with my teacher who, who was completely bilingual with both Spanish and Guarani. And there was one occasion where I got on the bus to go to Guarani school and I heard the driver and a passenger chatting away in Guarani, right? The thing is, it's, but if, if someone else had got onto the bus, the driver would have been speaking in Spanish to that person that got on the bus, right? So it's really interesting because Spanish is like the face of the country and Guarani is like the, the kind of heart and the depth. And you know someone well, okay, we're going to speak in Guarani. And it was also really interesting because the other examples of Guarani, we saw it dotted around on bits of, you know, on signs for shops and things like that. But they were getting ready for an election while we were there. And it was very, very interesting to see the signs for the politicians, you know, like the, the kind of billboards and stuff, using Guarani in a very 
you could say, politically motivated way to try and win people over. Be like, oh, look, we've just got a little pinch of growing in here, aren't we? We're, we're Paraguayan. Using it as that emblem of pride to try and draw in voters. That's how it felt, right? Um, as an outsider being there for the first time seeing this election. So it was interesting. I, so in a sense, I was disappointed that I wasn't able to really speak it in the streets. I wasn't expecting to really in Ascension, but unfortunately we didn't have the time to go any further afield. But I was also very excited, the fact that I knew it and it felt like I, you know, I'd see these little words everywhere and be like, oh yeah, I know that one. Yeah, yeah, that's Guarani. And that was really cool. I think... Um- I think that's that's a really amazing story and I think one of the things that you've done so well with language stories is being able to bring that to life for people with the with the audio with the podcast and also with the with the video mm. and also with the book. Um, <laughs> one of the things that I remember from the Southeast Asia series, the second series was um, when you, I can't remember if you're in Singapore or Malaysia, but you were talking about um, some of the dialects, the Chinese dialects like Hokkien. Yeah. And, you know, where they're going, what their future is, all this kind of thing. And I think, you know, what a great kind of <laughs> service you're doing to languages that aren't so well known by bringing that to people in a really fun, you know, way, format to um, digest. Do you have a particular kind of interest in languages that are, um, I'm not going to say dying, but languages that are kind of like lesser off known. the beaten track? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Mm. Lesser known and, and yeah. Um, I, I think for me it's, uh, it, 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 I don't know, maybe I do. Maybe I do. When I think back to the episodes that we made, we didn't just want to be like, okay, especially, you know, with the first season being in Latin America, I think that happened quite naturally. It wasn't just going to be, okay, we're in Mexico. This is what Mexican Spanish is like. Oh, now we're in Guatemala. They speak it a little bit differently here, you know? And I knew there were all these other languages in these places. I just had to scratch a little deeper to find these people to connect with. So I think because it happened quite naturally with that season, I think if we had, if we'd gone anywhere else first, it perhaps would have been a lot, you know, if we'd done Southeast Asia first, we probably, I probably wouldn't have dug so deep. It would have been like, oh, we're in Vietnam. Let's talk about Vietnamese. Oh, we're in Laos. Let's talk about Laos. We're in Cambodia. Let's talk about Khmer, you know, that's probably more what would have happened. But I think being in a place and there's maybe not anywhere else quite like Latin America in the world in the sense that. Spanish, you know, and obviously Portuguese in Brazil, but Spanish and, and you know, okay, people are going to comment on that. English and Belize, et cetera, and then French and bits of Dutch, right? Yep. Um, but Spanish being the dominant language of the region, it, it really helped to then be like, well, there's more to this. So let's go one layer deeper and see what else there is to discover. And I think that helped to then shape the rest of the 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 project going forward like with season two you said about the the Chinese dialects we had an episode about Hokkien and it was what was really really interesting about that is I say dialect they say language and I'm only saying dialect because I I don't know why I shouldn't I should say language um and what was fascinating about that is we spoke to people from uh Malaysia from Penang in particular about Penang Hokkien, which is a dialect of Hokkien, right? So 
you can't have a dialect of a dialect. So Hokkien must be a language. So Penang Hokkien is a dialect of Hokkien. And we spoke to people for that um, who were based in South Korea and America. And they also then connected us with someone who was in the UK. So when we got back, we actually went down to London for the day and met someone to talk about Hokkien, which we discovered from being in Malaysia. And we discovered from talking to someone in the US, it was all spread completely. And that was really interesting. And then, of course, we yeah. spoke to people in Singapore who use Hokkien in a, you know, not necessarily Penang Hokkien. So a slightly different dialect again, a slightly different variation of the language again. So, yeah, I definitely learned a lot as we were making it. I didn't know all of these languages or all of these, uh, these I didn't know all these languages existed before language stories, you know. And that, I think, is the point. It's... I didn't know this. Let's talk to people who do know about this. And I'm kind of in the same boat as the audience in that sense, in that I'm learning more or less at the same time, you know? Yeah, I really enjoyed yeah. your episode on Kristang um, because oh. that was a language that I didn't know, I had never heard of before. And mm. when I listened to it, I was like, wow, what is this? Because um, it had such interesting influences. Yeah, that was such a wonderful episode to film um I mean they they all are in their own way of course that one it's the one that just stands out to me because we I knew when I said we're going to go to Southeast Asia does anyone know of anyone I like emailed out to my email list I said do you know anyone that would be good to speak to about I'd say four or five people got back in touch with me and said oh there's this guy, Kevin, in Singapore. He's doing this thing called Kodra Kristang. He's like bringing back this endangered language in Singapore. I was like, amazing. This is exactly the type of person we need to speak with. Perfect. So I got in touch with Kevin. We agreed that we'd meet in Singapore. Perfect. Then I discovered, hang on a minute, this language, when I started to do the research into it, this language originated in Malacca, in Malaysia, right? I was like, we can't do this episode justice just by going to Singapore, right? And I really was trying to find someone. It was really hard to find someone online until uh, I found a, I found actually a chef who cooked Kristang meals, traditional Kristang cuisine, and worked in a hotel in Malacca. I, I had to contact the hotel and it was all a bit tricky to try and arrange to meet. But what, so we didn't get to interview her, but what she did do is she said, oh, you should definitely get in touch with um, Sarah Maria, who teaches Kristang to children in her home basically every day of the week. It was like, oh, okay, yeah. So at this point, we're now moving to WhatsApp. So no wonder I you know, couldn't find these people online. So I'm now on WhatsApp <laughs> with this woman. And we arranged to meet when we we're in Malacca. So we get to Malacca. There's this whole area called the Portuguese Settlement, which if you've ever been to, well, you don't even need to go there. If you've ever seen any kind of emblem of Portugal or of Brazil, you'll just feel like, wow, am I in Asia here? Because there's a Christ the Redeemer statue. There's restaurants with words like Lisbon and Bacalao in the names. Um, there's like the Portuguese flag colors, Brazilian flag colors. Everywhere. It's, it's absolutely unbelievable if you weren't expecting it to be there. So we get to this neighborhood, there's about a thousand people live there, a thousand people using this language, Kristang. And uh, we find Sarah Maria's house and she's like, oh, hey, perfect timing. The kids have just started singing. 
So go in, we jump right into this, uh, this, this singing lesson. And then she says, oh, the kids leave. She says, just before we do the interview, I've got a few things I want to show you. She shows me like this game that um, was like, she's like, oh, we got this from the festival in Singapore. I was like, oh, with Kevin. She's like, yeah. I was like, oh yeah, we, we're meeting Kevin. Oh, cool, cool. And, uh, and then she says, there's this book. I was like, whoa, there's a book teaching this language. I was like, can I buy this? She's like, yeah, yeah. I'll take you to the author's house after. I was like, okay. So <laughs> bear in mind at this Small point. Small world, right? <laughs> right. We, we leave her house at like 8 p.m. And we go around the corner. Her husband drives us all around the corner and we get to this other house. And it's like after eight, it's pitch black outside. And this couple, Philomena and Michael, that well, their brother and sister, um, welcome us, just completely welcome us into their home, give us drinks, everything, completely just open, chatted with us for two hours about Kristang, completely out of the blue, just welcomed us and let us ask all the questions we had about the language. He signed my book. I didn't even know he signed the book, but when I got home, I was like, oh, oh, it was just so, so wonderful. And the, I think throughout, not just in, in Malacca, but the hospitality of people and the openness, you know, the minute that you say, oh, I want to talk about this language that you speak. Like, oh, hang on a minute. No one else has ever asked me that before. Yeah, I want to talk about this. And that's just lovely. Yeah, I can imagine. That just sounds like a, you know, an amazing experience all round in all different ways. Um, what's next for language stories? Oh, yeah. So as we were getting ready to come back, um, it, <laughs> season one, we edited and published completely on the road. So uh, I think the first episode went out, let me think about this, November. I think we were in in Mexico or Belize when we published the very first episode, um, which was New York. And then we just kept going as we were moving. So we were filming one episode, planning another, and then publishing another all at the same time. It was all very crazy. And <laughs> one of the episodes actually, um, Keeping Quiche, one from Guatemala, one at a film festival. We went to the film festival and there were all these professional filmmakers there. And they were like, so what do you do with your, with your, I think he calls them rushes. What do you do with your rushes? Like all your footage, right? What do you do with all your rushes when you're on the road? We're like, oh, we just hard drives, kept it, filmed it. Because <laughs> they're thinking completely professional of like, you know, having mountains of people and stuff and all of this we're like let's just do it and then you know carry on do the next one <laughs> it was like, yeah. um, like really low what are we supposed production. to do <laughs> yeah yeah right and uh and so then we finished publishing season two by the time we got home so there was this rollover of everything just flowing into one another so we'd already thought like well, we're going to be home. How long are we going to be home for? It's not like we're going to be home for like, you know, a month and then right, we're off again. You know, Ashley needed to start work again. And he's like, I said, he's a teacher, right? It's like, that's a year at least. You can't just be like, okay, I'm, I'm done by Christmas. Let's go. Um, so, so yeah, we thought, well, let's do a UK series because there's a lot more going on here. And at the time that we came back, when we came back, Brexit should have been 
finished but obviously i mean you know the, we're recording this the day before mm-hmm. uh hopefully this will actually exist and like i won't be on fire by the time you listen to this um as you can tell i'm not a fan but yeah i thought with brexit happening it's an interesting time to maybe look at ourselves and to think okay so if we want to isolate ourselves a little bit then <laughs> let's let's look at ourselves and let's see what else is going on under the, under the surface here because yeah there's England and English is the language of England and England is the language of so many other countries and and communities and regions across the globe. But that's not it. That isn't the only story because it's not just England. There's Wales and there's Welsh in Wales. There's Scotland. You've got Scottish Gaelic and Scots in Scotland. There's Northern Ireland. You've got Ulster, Ulster, I think is it called Ulster Gaelic or Ulster Scots? And you've got obviously Ireland, its own country, but there's still Irish speakers in the UK. You've got Cornwall, you've got the Isle of Man. There's so much. Then of course you've got immigrant languages and it's like, I can't ignore that. So that is the plan for season three. Um, we're in the early stages. I've contacted a few people at this point and uh, beginning to plan the first trip. Um which I think weirdly it'll probably probably almost cost the same as, <laughs> as as the whole year did just to do it in the UK. But I think it will be uh, I think it will be worth it. That sounds really fantastic. I'm really looking forward to catching that next series. I think particularly just to you know hear more about languages like Cornish and Manx, which you know you just you don't hear much about those languages. At least we don't here in Australia. Um, Probably just the the one thing I wanted to ask about that was how do you go about, I guess, finding out about those languages and, and learning about them? Are there resources available? Are there people to talk to in these languages? Yeah, I've been really pleasantly surprised. So I decided for this season um, because it's we're at home and like it's sort of more normal work pattern, um, I'm going to learn uh, Cornish Manx, Scottish Gaelic and Welsh. Just, you know, enough to kind of understand a bit more about each of the languages. Um, and when I decided that, I we weren't sure also what order we'd be filming in or anything like that. So I thought, okay, let's just learn a bit of all of them at once. Let's just go for all four at once. And um, I've been very, very pleasantly surprised by the resources available. It's unbelievable there's a really great company called Say Something In. So there's Say Something In Welsh is what they're really known for. Um, but they also have courses for Spanish, Dutch, Latin, and then Cornish and Manx. So I've been using mm. those a lot. They're audio-based lessons. So I've been walking a lot, listening to those, and then coming back and kind of writing the sentences, you know. Um, yeah, so that's really, really helpful. There's Glossica. Glossica mm. for... Not for Cornish, but for Manx, Scottish Gaelic and Welsh. Um, there's teach yourself courses and general things like that for Welsh and for Scottish Gaelic. For Cornish and for Manx, there is less, but there's also some very, very wonderful people doing so, so much for their language in terms of resources, you know, for learners and being very open with that. Um and that's been very refreshing. So yeah, there's a few websites I could give you to put in the show notes that might be might be helpful for people that are interested. That'd be great. Yeah. That'd be great for sure. Definitely. 
And I think if you, so if you're listening to this and you're thinking, wow, what's Manx? That sounds cool. Um, Or what's Cornish? And very soon, I'm sure, when this third season of Language Stories comes out, um, you can listen to some of the stories behind these languages and Lindsay's encounters with them um, and get motivated to perhaps to learn some yourself. And if people want to check out um, Series 1 and Series 2, where should they go, Lindsay? So the easiest way is if you go to my website, lindsaydoeslanguages.com, it's L-I-N-D-S-A-Y, the most awkward spelling of Lindsay. Um, You go to my website and there'll be a little box there. It says learn, teach, and then it says language stories. So you can click that box to, uh, to have a listen to or to watch Seasons 1 and 2. Oh, that's fantastic. Oh, we, we really appreciate um, your time today and you coming to, to chat to us on Language Chats. Um, so thank you, Lindsay. And, um, yeah, all the best for Series 3. We can't wait. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for staying up a little bit later for me. <laughs> so we can <laughs> match time zones. <laughs> thank you so much, Lindsay. It's such a pleasure to have you here. Um, and thanks to all of you out there too for listening to Language Chats. Language Chats is a part of a larger project which we started called Language Lovers AU, where we're building a community of people who are interested in languages in Australia. Check out our website and subscribe to our mailing list at languagelovers.com.au. And you can also find us over on Instagram and Facebook. Um, Please leave us a review or let your other language lover friends know about language chats. Um, We will see you next time. See you next time. Bye.